we're going to keep praying. <clears throat> we're going to keep praying for our, our nation. Um, I've been really praying. Uh, the more you pray, the more encouraged you get, right? Because I was really, really discouraged, but I'm really encouraged because, you know, God can, God can do the impossible. Um, I think of the nation of Nineveh, and, you know, they had turned so far away from God that God sent, you know, his prophet Jonah to go and to warn them that, man, you know, that he's coming to judge uh, their, their country. And, you know, the nation of Nineveh, you know, they, 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 they heard this and they turned and God relented, you know. And so I want us to pray for our country, you know. And this isn't necessarily about political or, you know. I think just for the sake of our country, I just look around and uh, I just keep in my heart, I feel like we're a country in pain. And uh, I feel like, I feel like God's hand of judgment, kind of feel it kind of resting on our country right now. But that can change. Because the Bible says in Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name, that's us, you know, would humble ourselves. Not people outside here, but we would humble ourselves. That we would seek his face. That we would pray. And we would turn from our wicked ways God says that he will heal our land. See how important the church is. See how important we are. That we have access to the throne of grace. And so why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Pray for our country. Let's, um, you know, just on your own with, you know, from your heart, let's just pray that, that God would, would bless our country. That say, God, we just come before you and will you just bless this country? And that, you know, just repent on behalf of our country. Father, just forgive us. Yeah, so let's just pray. And then this, with one voice, let's just, you know, just repeat after me. We're going to pray as a church. You know, I'm going to pray, just pray out loud and repeat after me. And let's just pray, right? Heavenly Father, we come to you as your people. And we humble ourselves. And we ask for mercy. We deserve judgment but we're going to ask for grace. And we ask that you would heal our land. And we ask that you would protect those who protect us. We pray for those who defend us in the armed services. We pray for those first responders that you would protect them. We bless them. And so we look to you and we say we humble ourselves, forgive us, and will you heal our land? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks. We're finishing up the story of Joseph. And the story of Joseph is just, you know, I just love the story of Joseph. My wife said this is like Joseph's her guy, you know, after me. But, you know, that's, that's one of her heroes, you know, is Joseph. And, uh, you know, it's an amazing story about how God can work, you know, through all situations in the life of one person. And we picked up the story. Joseph was 17 years old, you know, had these dreams, you know, was kind of immature. And uh, his brother sold him into slavery, right? And then he gets sold again, and he goes to be a slave in Egypt. He goes there, 
And, you know, just when things are going pretty well, he gets falsely accused by his boss's wife, gets thrown again into prison. You know, he spends a whole bunch of time there. And uh, the one thing that we read through all these things, and when he was in, you know, when he was uh, thrown into prison, when he was uh, at the, uh, his boss's house going through all that hard time, we read that the Lord was with Joseph. You know, and that's really important because, you know, I began to say, God, will you be with me as you were with Joseph? Because no matter what the situation was, no matter how hard, how hard things were, that the Lord was with Joseph. And there was evidence by the fact that wherever he was, God kind of blessed him and the Lord was with him and he kind of rose to the top, right? And... Um, he, he goes to Potiphar's house as a slave. The Lord was with him. Potiphar looks, oh man, something about this guy. And Potiphar puts him in, front of, in charge of everything. He gets thrown into prison. You know, the warden looks, something about this guy. And again, Joseph gets put in charge of a whole bunch of stuff. Why? Because the Lord was with him. And then in prison now, he's been in prison for, for, for a pretty good amount of time. And he meets two men, right? They're in prison with him, uh, the cupbearer to the king and the, and the baker of, of Pharaoh. Now, we don't know why they're in prison, but they're there. And one night, they both have this really, they both have separately, they have vivid dreams, right? And they're like, oh, they're kind of bummed because there's no one there to interpret or they don't know what, they just knew. You know, sometimes you get, like a really vivid dream, and I wonder if God's trying to tell me something. And so they get this vivid dream. No one could interpret it. And then Joseph says, hey, you know, it is God who gives the interpretation. It isn't just a person. You don't have a dream interpreter person. It's God who gives the interpretation. And so they share the dream with Joseph, and, and, and sure enough, God gives Joseph the interpretation. And for the cupbearer, um, the interpretation of his dream was that he would be released and restored back to his position in three days. For the baker, eh, not so good. In three days, he, he'd be dead, right? And um, it happens just as he says. You know, just as the dream, uh, what the dream was about. And then Joseph tells the cupbearer, when you get out and you're released, will you tell Pharaoh what happened? So I can get out of prison, right? And which is, you know, like this is amazing, right? The cupbearer just had a dream. Joseph, in his mind, Joseph interpreted that dream. That God gave him the interpretation. So what would be the first thing you do when you get back to Pharaoh? Hey, Pharaoh, guess what? That guy interpreted my dream. Well, we find out, we read that after two years go by and uh, being falsely in prison, uh, the guy forgot. He forgot. For two years, he forgets. So here's Joseph again, right? He's in Potiphar's house, doing nothing wrong. His wife, you know, come on, Joseph. And he gets falsely accused, thrown in a prison. He interprets a dream. It's just amazing. God gives him the interpretation. But the cupbearer, like, forgets all about that. How can you forget all about that? But he forgets about Joseph. So he's in there. For two more years. And then Pharaoh himself has two dreams in two nights. And it's one of those again. It's like, man, it was bothering him. It was troubling him, the Bible says. 
And it was like, and no one could or no no one wanted to interpret the dreams because what if you're wrong, (laughs) right? And so the cupbearer finally goes, oh, yeah, two years ago I was in prison and there was a cup, there there was a guy, it was Joseph there, and he interpreted the dream. So, you know, he calls, Pharaoh calls him over, and again, Joseph gives, God gives Joseph the interpretation for Pharaoh's dream. And it was indeed a warning. And the whole gist of that dreams were, there's going to be seven years of just abundance in this country. And then after the seven years, it's going to be like a severe, severe famine. Right? And so Joseph says, hey, Here's the interpretation that God has given us a warning. God has given us interpretation. Seven years of good stuff, then seven, followed by seven years of bad stuff. And what we would need to do, if I was you, this is what we should do. This is what this country should do. Those seven years of abundance is you prepare. You get ready so that you can survive the seven bad years. So Pharaoh says, okay, that dream, I, be, I mean, that interpretation, yeah, I believe that sounds good to me. In fact, um, the Bible says that the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So it says, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. And then we read that he says, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. A brother sold in slavery goes to an official for Pharaoh. He rises to the top, right? Thrown into prison, rises to the top, thrown in, you know, and then what happens now, he gets his, he's there for two more years, and now, at the age of 30, right, so 17, 13 years, 13 years later, from a young man who was sold by his brothers, he is now put in charge of an entire country. Why is this? Because the Lord was with him. And True to the dreams, there were seven years of abundance, you know. And so Joseph collected food in storehouses in all these cities. And the Bible tells us that there was so much grain stored in these storehouses. It was like sand, like the sand in the sea, so much that he says that um, they couldn't, there was so much that they couldn't continue to keep records there was so much there. So, in other words, there are a lot of stuff, right? And then the famine comes, right? The famine comes. And then what happens is Joseph begins to manage the storehouses, all the things that they, they stored up. Then he begins to sell the grain to whoever needed the grain, began to distribute the grain, sell the grain, to a people, and then people came from all over the world to Egypt because this is a worldwide famine. And people find out that, oh, Egypt got some stuff there, and they all go to Egypt from all over the world. And over and over and over again, we see that the Lord was with Joseph. And we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 42, all right? You got your Bibles, I can go there. And we're going to go today, um, we're just going to do a small portion of Scripture. We're going to go from Genesis 42 all the way to Genesis 50, all right? So um, probably by 2 o'clock before the storm really gets bad, we should be done, all right? But here we go. Um, 
the nations are coming to Egypt for food. And then there's a leader and a head of a family who they're struggling in Canaan. And then he decides to go to Egypt to look for food. And lo and behold, it's Jacob, Joseph's father, right? So Joseph's father is going to talk to his sons to go to Egypt to see if they can buy some food. They have no idea that the person they would be seeing to get the grain would be the brother who they sold into slavery. So uh, Genesis 42 verse 1. When Jacob heard that there was grain available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I heard that there's grain in Egypt. So go down there, buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we're going to die. That's how severe the famine was. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, the youngest brother, go with them for fear um, some harm might come to him. So again, you know, father's playing favorites, right? He said, you guys go, but no, I can't let anything happen to my boy, Benjamin, all right? So it's still messed up a little bit. Um, so Jacob's sons arrive in Egypt along with others to buy food for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was the governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling the grain to the people, all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. And, and look what happens. When they arrived, what did they do? They bowed down before him with their faces to the ground, just like the dream that they had 17 years ago. they bowing down. Before, they don't even know that. They don't recognize that's their brother. They bowed down. And, and you know what? We read this and we go, wow, how good God is. What a perfect setup, right? Here's these no good brothers and now they're being delivered into Joseph's hand. All right, right? I mean, this is it, right? All these, these guys, these no good brothers who have caused so much pain, they're actually, God brings them right to him, and they're bowing down before him. Talk about an amazing setup. That Joseph could have his revenge, right? I mean, right there. They're at his mercy. He could have his revenge, and he had the power to do whatever because Pharaoh put him in charge of all this stuff. And it would be totally understandable. In fact, some of us would root like, yeah, Joseph, go get them. You know, sell them into slavery. <laughs> you know, whatever, right? You know, but it would be so understandable for Joseph to get back at his brothers that, that couldn't he have interpreted these turn of events, you know, as the fulfillment of the dream that God had given him and now that God was handing them over, now it's time to give them what they deserve, right? I'm, I mean, he could have done that. And we would like, yeah, that, that would be an interpretation, yeah. But Joseph didn't do that. He chose, instead of choosing vengeance, he chose something else. That after going through all that God allowed him to, Joseph himself had matured. That he, he understood that unforgiveness and seeking vengeance really would be futile. That really, what, what good would that do? And then we can see three reasons why holding on to unforgiveness 
and seeking vengeance is really futile. It's just really, it's not worth anything, right? If you're in a miserable situation, if you've been hurt, if you've been mistreated or falsely accused, you know, God, like we talked about last week, God will give you the grace to overcome and rise above that. But not only will he do that, we learn from Joseph's stories that God will give you the grace to forgive. That in Joseph's story, getting back at someone who has hurt or wronged you is really just not worth it, you know? So here's some things to consider when you're tempted to get back at someone. And you know what? The truth is we all get tempted to get back at someone, right? Someone, you're driving and someone cuts you off. What is your first reaction? Right? I know what it is, right? You're going to go in front of them and cut them off, right? I mean, that's, that's, what, that's a normal response, right, Bob? I mean, that's... <laughs> I got to confess I did that the other night. Anyway, sorry, that was bad. Sorry, Janelle. I know Janelle was there, and she looked at me and rolled her eyes. But, yeah. But here's the thing. First thing is this. You will never hurt them, the person who hurt you. You will never hurt them as much as you have been hurt by them. There's not going to be a way where you can hurt them as much as they've hurt you. What could Joseph do to hurt his brothers? Really, I mean, what could he really do? Would anything he did make him feel better, really deep down inside? You know, and some of you go like, yeah, no. You know, would anything that he did make him feel better? No, we can never hurt others as much as we have felt hurt by them. No matter what we do, it's not going to take our pain away. Just not going to. Those who, and the second thing is those who hurt you are probably hurting also, but that's not an excuse. Okay? So often, people who mistreated you or they've, you know, whatever, they've been hurt themselves. Their lives aren't all together, and, and often, you know, they're just messed up. And often, they feel the guilt and remorse over their actions. Even doesn't seem that way, right? And then in Genesis 42, verse 21, like Joseph's brothers, right, He's talking to them, and then they're talking to themselves because, you know, they're, they're speaking through an interpreter, right? And they don't know that's Joseph. They don't know that he understands what they're saying. And they're saying to themselves, speaking among themselves, they said, clearly we are being punished for what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy Reuben asked? But you wouldn't listen. Now we have to answer for his blood. They don't know that's Joseph, but for now, for the last 17 years, is eating at them. You see? It's, it's, it's something, they've been hurt by this. And, and so, it's not an excuse, but, you know, just we need to understand that those who hurt us are probably hurting themselves. And then the last thing, the most important thing, that holding on to unforgiveness only results in a root of bitterness. See? And that's the main one, right? We can hang on to unforgiveness. We can seek vengeance. All we get is a root of bitterness. After all that Joseph went through, horribly mistreated by his brothers, suffering on the long journey to Egypt in shackles and chains, going to the, being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, for being forgotten by the cupbearer, all that stuff, that would be reason to be bitter. But along the way, Joseph had experienced God's grace 
to the degree he did, and he really wouldn't be in the position he was if he hung on to that unforgiveness. You see? All he would have been, he probably would have been stuck in prison, and all he would have is bitterness. And sometimes we hang on to our bitterness because it feels good to be angry and bitter. Because it feels a lot better than feeling sad, right? And vulnerable. And Joseph, seeing God's grace, continued to humble himself. And that's why 2 Chronicles 7.14 is so important. If my people were called by my name, would humble themselves. See? You know? And whenever we hang on to unforgiveness, and you probably know this, right? When we hang on to unforgiveness, it just kind of messes up our lives. Not just in that one area, but in all the area, the bitterness just leaks out. So much so that Hebrews 12, 15 says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. See, we, he's saying, guys, look, just make sure everybody is receiving the grace of God. Why? Watch out that no, no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. See, that's what happened. When we bitter... So much of our relationships and so much of things around us, it gets affected. It gets corrupted. It isn't just, no, 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 I'm just mad. I'm just bitter at this. It just kind of leaks out. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, make sure, look after each other, that none of you fail to receive the gift of grace, the grace of God. That's what Joseph did. He made sure that God was teaching. It was loud and clear. I got a choice. Grab hold of the grace of God. I'll get be stuck in my unforgiveness and get this root of bitterness. And all that's going to happen here is going to mess up all my relationships. Right? And holding on to unforgiveness and vengeance really has no benefit. And we see Joseph had matured. And we see Joseph, you know, is not hanging on to unforgiveness or seeking vengeance. But he wants to see, you know, has God been doing anything with my brothers? You know, is, is, is there anything been going on with my brothers? Have they matured in the last X amount of years? You know, were they the same envious, selfish brothers they were before? Was God working in their lives? And so he starts, he, he, kinds of, he kind of tests them in a way. And he starts off with some very pointed questions in, in verse 7. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? From the land of Canaan, they replied. We've come to buy food. All right, just beginning, started there. Then he accuses them. No, 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 you guys are spies, verse 8. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him, and he remembered the dreams he had about them many years before, and he said to them, you're spies. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Right? I mean, that's, that's reasonable because they're the only guys that got food, right? And so he said, you guys are spies. You guys come to check us. And, and what, how do they respond? No, 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 my Lord. 
your servants, see, your servants, they humbling themselves. No, no, no. Have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. God, we're honest men, sir. We are not spies. Then what he does, he temporarily puts them in prison. Verse 17. So Joseph puts them all in prison for three days, and on the third day, he says to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you, are an on, if you are really honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families. But you must bring your youngest son back to us. Okay? This will prove that you are telling the truth, and then you will not die. To this, they agreed. Now, they didn't know it was Joseph they were talking to. They began to talk to themselves. We see God was beginning to do something. God was doing something in their lives. And then you know, we read again. That's what it is in verse 21. You know, they're speaking amongst themselves. Oh, man, we're being punished. Okay? We're being punished. You know? Joseph's blood is on our hands. But Joseph chose forgiveness and not vengeance after all that his brothers had put him through. And God was indeed working in their lives, you know. He could hear them, you know, he could hear them and their conversation. He could hear how much they now, they, they just, they, no matter the favoritism, the dysfunction of their family, they could see how much he loved, they loved and cared for their father. They could see how much they cared for their younger brother, which before it was like, that's the favorite guy, let's get him out of here, let's kill him. But now they really care about their youngest brother. And then the remorse they felt for what they did to Joseph. And we read in verse 23, of course they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for they had been speaking through an interpreter. And now he turned away from them and began to weep. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again, and then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. Having a plan in mind, Joseph sends them back to Canaan with grain. And they're gonna, he's going to keep Simeon there until they bring back Benjamin. But what you see, why is he weeping? Right? Because his heart is still tender because he chose to forgive. He didn't choose to hang on to unforgiveness or bitterness. And, and really the truth is, forgiveness is the way to freedom. See? Now, forgiveness is the way to freedom. It's un, if unforgiveness leads to bitterness and a bitter root and poisoned relationships, forgiveness leads us into God's grace and God's freedom. And forgiveness is not ignoring what, have, no, what you have gone through. See, forgiveness is not saying, no, 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 like, I'm going to act like that never happened. Joseph remembered. Said, remembering the dreams, remembering what his brothers did, forgiveness is not ignoring. It doesn't mean we ignore what we went through. Joseph didn't forget, and we are not to forget. Forgiveness is not forgetting or ignoring or blocking it out of your mind, the hurt and the pain that others have caused you. But that hurt and that pain, what do you do with that? Forgiveness is letting go of that hurt and pain and injustice so God can heal our hearts. See, that's what it is. See, sometimes we think, no, no, I just forgive and forget, so I'm just going to act like that never happened. You cannot do that. Because your heart is still sore. There's pain. I don't care how much we try, right? I'm just not going to think about it. I'm going to whistle a happy tune. Just not going to think about it. No, no, no. No, not going to. 
In fact, you know, I'm just going to, I'm even going to forget they're even alive, right? Yeah. So if they talk to me, it's like, no, I don't even hear them. Vapor. You know, you know cannot, right? right? You know how that is. No matter how hard you try, you cannot forget the hurt that someone has caused you. You just cannot. And sometimes people try, and they might have been abused or hurt by their parents or whatever, um, someone older, and then they, they stuff it, they stuff it. But then one year, maybe when they're like you know, 30 years later, they just cannot stuff it anymore. It just kind of comes out. It's some, they're a mess. And forgiveness is letting go of the hurt and the pain and all that stuff. Yeah, it was unfair. Why did they pick on you? Don't know. You let all that go so that God can heal you. You see? That's what God did with Joseph. Joseph remembered the dream. Joseph remembered what they did. But he was free. In fact, all he had was love for his brothers. He wasn't weeping like, I'm so mad. No. Yeah, we're going to find out why he was weeping a little later. Because he's going to weep again. See? Forgiveness is letting go of the hurt pain so God can heal us. And then forgiveness leads to freedom and allows you to walk in God's destiny for your life. See, forgiveness allows God. Here's the greatest thing, okay? If you can grab hold, we can grab hold of this. Forgiveness is really allowing God to use that hurt, to use that offense, that mistreatment, that mischief, that misery for our good. That's the remarkable thing that God can take that horrible thing that someone has done to us, and God can, can use it for our good. God can take something that is totally messed up and use it to bless your life. What? Really? Yes. How do we know this? That's the story of Joseph. See? That's the story of Joseph. In fact, Joseph is going to say something so amazing. That shows us that forgiveness indeed leads to freedom and allows you to walk in God's grace and his destiny for your life. Forgiveness is the way to freedom. And so the brothers, they go home, right? They go home with the grain. Stuff happens. Okay? And I want to say, I'm just giving you highlights of this story. because This is such a cool part of the story. But there's so many details that are being left out that, you know, today when you go home, it's going to be rainy and the whole thing, and you're going to feel all like, you're going to feel all snugly, right? You just go in your bed, put the covers on, you know, and you just read Genesis 42 to 50, and it's going to be worth it. In fact, you might all want to pile in, you know, and just read it out loud. It's going to be great. And you say, man, Mark should have talked about that. Yeah, I should have. God's going to speak to you in all kinds of incredible ways. But, but here's the thing. They go back, right, because it's a great story. Genesis 43, 1 and 2 says, The famine continues to ravage the land of Canaan. And when the grain was brought from Egypt, when it was almost all gone, Jacob says to his sons, got to go back. Got to get some more. <laughs> got to get some more. You know? And, but before they left, Joseph had warned them, if you come back for more, you got to bring your youngest son, youngest brother, Benjamin. And, and their father is like, no, I don't want nothing to happen, right? 
And so they tell the father, father, but if we go back, the man who's in charge said, we've got to bring our youngest son. Why did you tell them we had a youngest brother? He said, well, he asked, and we, were, we, just, we just told him what it was. We know that he was going to do what he's going to do. Finally, the father says, yeah, you know, we're going to die. All right, take your brother. So he relented. We see how far the brothers have come when Judah demonstrates a surprising, self-sacrificing kind of one of the brothers. He just demonstrated. He went from this piece of work, right, who, led, who leads the charge to have Joseph sold to the traders so that, you know, that, man, guys, let's sell him because we can get money. We won't have his blood on our hands. We won't have to kill him. But he'd be out of our lives and we get something for it. That was Judah back then. But now we see God was working in his life. And so we see in Genesis 44, verse 30, we read this. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in the boy's life, right? So they're saying, so they go back to Egypt, they go to Joseph, get some more, and Joseph says, leave your brother, and now here's Judah. No, we cannot do that, right? We can't leave him because our father's life is bound up in the life of the boy. Did he care about Joseph years earlier? No, he said, forget about father. Forget about brother. And now he's like, no, we cannot. If he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. Did he think like that before? No. But now he's like, oh, you know, we, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guaranteed my father that I would take care of the boy. I told him, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. See what's happening. See the change in his life. You know, so please, my Lord, let me, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish that would be upon my father. And Judah steps up. And he's no longer looking out for himself. And one Bible commentator says, Judah is the first person in the Bible who is willing to offer his own life for another. And look where he came from. Look what God's been doing. God was there. He was active and he was making a way even in the lives of Joseph's brother. And seeing what God was doing in the lives of his brothers, Joseph extends forgiveness to his brothers. Genesis 45, verse 1. Joseph, he just couldn't stand it anymore, says. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he says to his brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers were like, whoa, that's Joseph. Dun, 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 right? They're like, oh no. You know, they were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he says to them. So they come closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. And then through this forgiveness, we see God's bigger picture, you see. We see what happens 
when we choose forgiveness over unforgiveness and vengeance. Verse 5. Don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. He remembers, but he's forgiving them. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. Wow. I mean, the way he thought. Since God was behind all this, and he sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And he goes on. And then later, after father, so you know, he brings Jacob and his brothers, they live with him, and they live in comfort. And it's, you know, for the, the next 13 plus years of his life, Jacob was reunited with his sons, but after he dies, his brothers still, like, they're still a little worried, right? And they feared that Joseph, as soon as dad dies, we're done, Out of fear, they sent a letter to Joseph saying that their father left instructions to forgive his brothers. Then they went to Joseph, again bowed down, and they said, we are your slaves. And again, Joseph extends forgiveness And then in Genesis 50, verse 19, he says this. He says, don't be afraid of, don't be afraid of me. I am God, am I God that I can punish you? And then he says this, you intended to harm me, which they did. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me into this position so I could save the lives of many people. Don't be afraid. I will continue to care for you and your children. And he reassured them by seeking, speaking kindly to them. What an amazing testimony and transformation. From just a horrible situation, God turned it all for good. See, that's what God does. That's what God wants to do in our lives. What other people meant for harm, God wants to turn it around for our good. That's the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness forgiveness gets us into that place. Forgiveness allows God's grace to come in and he will turn whatever mess that has been made in your life because of what other people have done, maybe even what you have done as you forgive yourself, that God will turn it all around. That's what he does. That's the powerful, powerful benefits of forgiving others. You experience freedom from unforgiveness, ill will, and bitterness. Man, that in and of itself. You get freed from the bitterness that comes along with unforgiveness. You experience God's grace. Forgiveness opens that door. You experience God's grace, his strength, and his power to work in those situations, just like Joseph. And you become a blessing to others, even though to those you hurt, who have hurt you. I mean, how great is that? You get freedom, you experience God's grace, and you actually become a blessing to others, even to those who have hurt you. That's what forgiveness can do. That is God's, part of God's destiny and plan for our lives. Friends, if, if, if you're struggling, if you're struggling with unforgiveness, take heart that God wants to make a way in your life. If you would choose forgiveness, 
He will give you the grace to rise above. That, that He will give you the grace and the power of, um, to overcome what was intended to harm you. God now intends it all for your good. He will take all these challenges, all these trials, all these hurts, all your pain, and He's going to use it all for your good. That's what God did in Joseph's life, and that's what God wants to do in yours. I mean, that's a great offer. And so we're going to pray now. I want you to stand. Let's pray. All right. If you are struggling with unforgiveness, and most all of us are, if you know that there's some bitterness in your life, you don't got to hang on to that. God wants something better. Okay, so you pray. Let's pray. And you say, God, I give you the hurt and the pain. And this is what you do. Quietly before God, you, you tell God, God, as best I can, and will you give me the grace and the strength to forgive so-and-so? To forgive that person. Just let it go. Just give it to God. Right? That's where it starts. God, I forgive. I forgive Jed York, president of the 49ers, for messing up this team horribly. I forgive Jed York. I feel better already. Right? So quietly, let's just pray. And as you pray, the worship team will begin to, to play this song. And if you need to continue to pray, because there's a bunch of people and a bunch of things that have hurt you, you just keep, you just keep praying to God. God, just worship, all right? Well, thank you for coming. Really appreciate you, know, you uh, braving the weather to, to come here. Um, if you would like prayer, you know, we have begun to pray. You know, the Bible tells us that if anybody is sick, let them call the elders of the church. And the prayer, you know, as they pray and anoint you with oil, uh, that prayer uh, will, will heal the sick. And so, um, you know, just, you know, you want, there's something that you would like us to pray for you as far as healing. It might even be with the hurt you might be feeling with someone, what God might be speaking to you about today. Let's come up, you know, I mean, just, it's, really, it's really fine. Got some elders here. Come on, we'll just, we would love to pray with you. All right, God bless. There's food in the back. And uh, have a great rest of the afternoon reading Genesis. All right.